welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by our friends at Rapsodo. Rapsodo, the industry leader in baseball player development technology, has a special offer on their hitting and pitching 2.0 units. Go to rapsodo.com backslash rapsodo hyphen savings and get up to $1,000 off. Trusted by the best in baseball, Rapsodo is used by all 30 MLB teams, 100% of Division I champions since 2010, and 100% of the top 100 prospects in this year's MLB draft. Scott Brown, Vanderbilt's pitching coach and associate head coach, had this to say about Rapsodo. Everyone involved in teaching pitchers this day and age could benefit from owning Rapsodo and using it for immediate feedback to educate their pitchers. Again, save up to $1,000 when you decide to train and build champions with Rapsodo. Visit rapsodo.com backslash savings and take advantage of this great offer. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting Professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Another Titan in the Game joins us this week on the ABCA podcast with Jefferson High School head coach John Lowry. Coach Lowry is a well-deserved inductee in the 2023 Hall of Fame class. Coach Lowry is heading into his 52nd season at Jefferson High School. He's amassed 1,392 wins, 12 West Virginia State Championships, and 26 state tournament appearances. Coach Lowry got an opportunity to coach all three of his sons in high school, and all three went on to play college baseball. In this episode, we discuss practice planning, holding players accountable, fundraising, history of West Virginia baseball players, and we even had an opportunity to get some insight from his wife, Vicki, in this one. Let's welcome Coach Lowry to the podcast. I guess that's fine. We'll throw, uh, you know, we do a little bit on YouTube, uh, but not much. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll throw a graphic up of you. I didn't realize you knew my son, John. Yeah, very well. Very well. He, uh, he used to hook me up when I was coaching at Quincy for the gems. Um, he was a ball state, so he used to hook me up. He'd send me good players. So I had, uh, Luke Haggerty, uh, Scott French, uh, Adam Pettyjohn, so we had had a good crew of Ball State players when I was there. Yeah, good pipeline. Yeah, yeah. That um, Quincy was one of the best franchises going back then, the late eighty, late late nineties, early two thousands. 
we were getting about 5,500 fans a game. It's a good environment. Wow. They kind of kicked everything off before the Northwoods League got going. They changed. They kind of changed how summer ball was run. Yeah, I used to be in the Valley League. Oh, yeah. Bobby yeah, Weiss. Yeah. Ray Heatwall. <laughs> Ray Heatwall recruited my youngest son, Rusty, to play at James Madison. Yep. Yep. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Uh, John, I'm ready. I can count you in and we can go. Okay. Sounds good. Here, John Lowry Sr., uh, Jefferson High, uh, 2023 ABC Hall of Fame inductee, but heading into 52nd season as head coach, uh, 1,392 wins, 12 state championships, uh, 26 state uh, appearances. Uh, and Max Preps also uh, named you greatest coach in West Virginia history of any sport, which is uh, unreal. So, John, thanks for jumping on with me. Well, I appreciate you having me. Uh, uh, look forward to talking with you. Which son was the best baseball player? Well, <laughs> that's a well. I guess you know they all had their they all had their uh, strengths and abilities. Uh, you know, they all had the opportunity to play uh, beyond high school. Uh, John played, you know, out at Minnesota and, and and did well, and had the opportunity to play beyond that. You know, a, a year professionally. So I guess if you looked at it that. Maybe his skill set was uh, conducive to getting that opportunity. But, uh, um, you know, my middle son, uh, Charlie, he, he, he was an all-conference catcher at Shepherd, which is a Division II school here in our area. And uh, my youngest son had the opportunity to play at James Madison, uh, where he was captain of the team down there his senior year. So all three of them had uh, opportunities to play collegiate level and uh, played different positions. Uh, you know, John was a left-handed thrower, so he was able to pitch and play first. Charlie was all right-handed. Of course, he got behind the plate. And, uh, Rusty was a uh, uh, second baseman, but the uh, thing that I think really helped his game was the fact that he could switch it. And, uh, you know, he, he hit from both sides fairly well. And uh, they, they all had enjoyable careers and uh, played high school for us. And it was just, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of good memories. All three of them still involved in baseball? Um, in, in a way, John, I would say it's probably, uh, he, he does, uh, he coached at our rival high school Martinsburg for, uh, seven years. Then he went up to Mercersburg Academy and coached when his oldest son, uh, Bo, who went on to play for the Mountaineers at West Virginia was playing in there at, uh, Mercersburg. Uh, Rusty's an athletic director at Woodgrove high school. So he's involved in athletics, uh, you know, the, Obviously, baseball would be uh, included in that, but he's, you know, overall with the athletic. Uh, my, my middle son, Charlie, the one who was the catcher, he, he's a banker. So he, he goes to games and so forth, but he's not actively involved. How did John Jr. get all the way out to Minnesota? I mean, that, that was in an era that, that maybe kids didn't travel as far to go to school. Well, you know, that's an interesting story. Uh, back then, they used to put some of the college games on TV. Uh, and uh, I watched Minnesota play on TV one night, and what caught my interest about that was uh, Denny Nagel played for uh, uh, Minnesota, and he was from Arundel, which was had proximity to where we are. There were, you know, maybe that's sixty or seventy miles, but I knew Arundel's coach Bernie Walters and so forth. And well, in 1987, when John was a junior, I had the opportunity to work at the Olympic Festival, yep. and uh, 
uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And down the left field line, I saw a guy with an M on his hat, like the Minnesotan, and, you know, being a uh, father, I guess, as well as a coach, I went down. I, it was Rob Fornasier. He was the assistant oh, yeah. coach at Minnesota at the time. And I said, uh, Coach, I said, I have a son. He's a left-handed pitcher. I think he has the ability to play at the division one level. Of course, Rob was polite, nodded his head, because I'm sure he heard that a lot. And I said, and if you don't believe me, I said, you can, you know, ask and talk to Bernie Walters because John had played, you know, some travel fall or whatever it was back then, uh, games with, with Bernie. Well, when I said Bernie Walters, maybe you could kind of see a light go on a little bit. And uh, um, so that kind of started to get the ball rolling. Well, John Anderson, their head coach, came down to Baltimore when they were playing a uh, uh, they had an all-star game down there. And John got the pitch, and he was a junior, and I think he threw 84, 85 that day. And they asked him out for a visit. And um, when we went out for the visit, it was when the Twins were in the uh, World Series. So we combined the visit with uh, I knew a, a, a scout friend of mine who could get us tickets. So we went to the World Series game. I think it was his 18th birthday. We went to the World Series game, and then he had a good visit. And, uh, you know, the people out there were just super and uh he became uh they they sold him on the program you know a lot of people say minnesota you know up during the weather but you know they were playing at the dome at the time yep. and then they uh, during the um you know, early part of the season they'd fly to arizona or to texas or whatever on weekends to play so uh you know they they had a they had a venue to be able to work out they had an indoor facility and then they played their games in the dome and they traveled and you know it's a big 10 program that just um, it just was a good fit for him, and he yeah. had a great career out there, great experience, and he met a lot of people. I think that served him well uh, as his, uh, you know, as his life moved on beyond college. That was my coldest recruiting trip of all time. That's back they changed the recruiting calendar, so you couldn't go out till March first um, that year. So I was at Iowa at the time. I drove to the Metrodome because they were going to play. They played junior college games all night. So we had an incoming player from Kirkwood. So Kirkwood started a doubleheader at 3 o'clock in the morning. Well, And it, well. it was negative 40 windchill degree. I didn't think my car was going to start when I came out of the Metrodome. It was light. I went in, it was pitch black. And when I came out at 7.30 in the morning, it was light out. But it was, it was negative 40 windchill. So it was um, – got back well, You know, I'd heard, I'd heard that teams that play out – high school teams I'd heard – yeah, if they wanted to play there, they'd have yeah. to play like yeah, they played around the clock. Game. It was awesome. So there would be you know JUCO games going on. There'd be Division three, NAIA, Division two. There was just everybody could rent it out. So they just would would get games in as much as they could. It was awesome. How did you handle their baseball growing up? You know, we have a lot of parents that listen in. I mean, how, were you extremely involved with their baseball growing up? Were you hands off? How did you handle their baseball growing up? No, I mean, I let them enjoy, just enjoy the game for what it was. They traveled with me a lot. Like I mentioned, um, you know, before we got on the air, I'd been with the Winchester Royals in the Valley League, and, and you know, they were 10, 11, 12, you know, little league age then, and they would go to the games with me. And um, fortunately enough, they were they were of they, – they, even at that age, they could stand in the outfield and shag balls, and they were around guys who – you know, one of them in particular, Jimmy Key, who pitched in the big leagues, he was on the team. And, you know, they got to be around those guys and talk to those guys, guys from uh, Clemson, Georgia Southern, uh, uh, you know, Division One schools. And it, 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 
I just think being around those type of people, you know, creates a mindset. Of, um, uh, they always had an interest in it. They'd follow our high school team. And, uh, but I never was actively involved in any of their, uh, with their youth teams or anything. I'd, I'd go watch and uh, we'd play in the backyard and, uh, you know, and, and have fun that way. But that's pretty much the way it, it, it is. And they, I, I think I'm very fortunate that all three of them, seemed to you know gravitate to the game and, and liked it and uh it wasn't anything where you had to you know and i think that's the best way you know people tend to do best when they're motivated because of their interest level and uh and i think that was the case with them and uh, i don't i don't think it works very well the other way so did they play organized baseball when you were with winchester they played little league ball in in which in winchester well, no, they played back in our county. We live about 30 miles from Winchester. Okay. Uh, I didn't realize you guys were that close. Yeah. Yeah, in- yeah, yeah. You know, that until you get out to that part of the world, you don't realize how close West Virginia is uh, yeah. to everything over on that side. So that's that, that's cool. We, that, we, so they got to stay we, at home because my dad coached the Galesburg Pioneers from 1974 to 1979, and we actually lived uh, – we lived – in Galesburg. Um, I stayed in a hotel when I was a little kid. And then we actually lived with the players one year, which I mean, I, I, that would never happen now, but we, my family actually lived in a ho- college house with the players when I was yeah. growing up in the summer. Well, yeah. Where we live, we're in a panhandle. Yep. Harpers Ferry is the down that most people recognize because of the John Brown raid. We're 60 miles from uh, Washington, 70 miles from Baltimore. Uh, when John was a junior in high school, he went to the, uh, the Baltimore area and played in the summer league, and he was playing against college kids at that time. And uh, uh, but you know that proximity—it's—it's it's kind of a—you're close to an urban area, and it's we're kind of rural, and it's uh, uh, yeah, it was just a good place to uh, to live. Yeah, lived there all my life. Do wives or moms get enough credit for the process of kids' development? on that side? Well, I know in my particular case, I would say no, but you know, wives are so important because of the support they give and the willingness to be able to make the sacrifices that they have to make to accommodate all the things that go in, you know, to being involved in ball. Uh, You know, the summer I was at the Olympic festival, they were three of them were playing all on different teams, all going in different directions. And she had to help coordinate that with a ride for this one, a ride for that one. And she's always let me uh, pursue the things that interest me um, from a baseball. You know, not only did I coach baseball, but I was the head basketball coach at our school for 11 years. And I was an assistant football coach for 17 years. So, you know, being from an athletic family yourself, you can understand uh, the demands on time that that makes. And uh, if you don't have a wife that, that buys in and supports and is willing and, uh, you know, it can make it very difficult. And I've been fortunate every step of the way to have a wife that, that has been that way. With coaching college summer baseball, did you ever think about moving to the college side? Well, you know, I, I really didn't. I, I enjoyed, you know, I, like I said, I grew up in this area and I had the good fortune to, at the high school that I coach at, it was a consolidation of, of uh you know, and within our county, and I had a uh, chance to be the coach at that school from its inception in an area where I grew up. And, you know, in West Virginia, the number of games we get to play and the, 
and the, and the travel and all the things that we've done. I, I've, I've just enjoyed, uh, you know, the high school level. And I never really thought beyond that. And to be truthful, I never really uh, had any opportunities beyond that other than in the Valley League. So, uh, you know, I had a, uh, a good home base and uh, I'm, I'm very satisfied with what I do. And, you know, as I said, not only coaching baseball, which I've done uh, for the length of time that I've done it, but in my younger days, you know, I just love coaching. I was involved in all the sports. So. Did you guys go across? So did you guys go to Maryland and play high school games or did you go to Virginia and play high school games? We did. We've, uh, in fact, as, as time went on, we got to where we, we travel, we take overnight trips and, you know, we've gone to Cooperstown to play. Uh, we've, uh, we go to Myrtle beach. We're down there at spring break to play. Uh, so, you know, back before 1984, you could play as many games as you wanted to. Yep. And I remember one year we played 45 games. You know, now when you start playing, it's unheard of. For high school. Too, you know, huh? That's unheard of for high school. Yeah, and we was, played a now, lot in Indiana. We could play 28 um, regular season games in Indiana, so we did play a lot of games. Well, and it, it, now they uh, in 1984 they, they they put it back to where you could play 30 games plus a tournament. Well, some of the teams, they organized like a weekend tournament, like it was a round-robin tournament to win all year. So they'd end up playing, you know, way up there too. So then they modified it again. We Now we can play 32 games, and if you want to play in a tournament, that's included within that 32 games. You play 32 games, you get to scrimmage twice before the season starts, so that's 34. And if you're fortunate enough to progress and go through your tournament, it's double elimination at the uh, – uh, sectional level it's two out of three at the uh, regional level still single elimination at our state level but you can play close to 40 games and you know in that time period that's uh you know that's that's I mean, that's a fourth of a big league season if you think about it in those terms and so I'm, I'm fortunate that, that we get to play to them again you know baseball is a game that needs to be played you know that as well as i do and that i think that's the reason you see the big league they play every day. I'm trying to compare the big leagues to high school, but it is a game. If you're going to get better, you got to repetition is so important, and all the situations that come up within the game, and, and the different things. But learn to play the game. You got to play the game, and that's. I think we're fortunate in West Virginia that we're allowed to play the number of games we do because you know that helps in that development. When you get to the state, how many teams end up making it to state with a single elimination round? Four. Four so it's four. So right. It's two. Is it a doubleheader that day? What they do is they bring all three classes in. There's three classes. So they have uh, on a Thursday night, they'll have two semifinal games. Yep. Then on Friday, they have the other semifinals for the other two classes. Then on Saturday, they'll have the three championship games. That's how the Iowa tournament is, except it's single elimination all the way through But because everybody gets in with the four classes. But – they kind of went back to split with COVID. They kind of had to split it again, but it used to be in Des Moines at the AAA stadium, and it was great because there would be 32 teams that would show up and, and play, um, and the, the 1As and, and 2As would start early, and then the 3As and the 4As would start later. But it was a great tournament because you got a chance to watch 32 teams go at it, which is awesome. Yeah. You know, we're, we've tried as a coaches association to get them to – make the state tournament in double elimination. But I think the problem there is, you know, they, they rent the minor league stadium, what it used to be a minor league stadium, the Appalachian Powell Park down in Charleston. And, you know, if you get rain, you know, then you get backed up. Then if you have to have, 
then you get near the losers brackets game that you almost have to have another feel that you could do and it just i guess there's just a uh, a complexity of detail there that yeah. uh would have to be worked out you know when you're playing locally and you have the uh double elimination format you know if you have to double up and play two games in one day you know it's a little more flexibility that way to make it work and uh but when they compact the state tournament into that three-day period, you can see how rain could really um, complicate the issue. What was your first job? In baseball? No, coaching? first job ever. Well, uh, well, my first job ever, I was a uh, bag groceries at White Supermarket in Charlestown, West Virginia. What age What age did you start? In the ninth grade. Through yeah, the we talk grade. about in the office all the time how all of us had jobs early. You don't see it as much anymore, um, but we all had jobs early. I, I can remember I came home. I told my father I was going to be making 75 cents an hour. He says, he's not going to be paying you that much, he said. So, <laughs> that's what we made was 75 cents an hour. And one time I put 19, I'll never forget this, $18.89 worth of groceries in the wrong car. <laughs> and the boss told me I could keep my job but I'd have to pay for the groceries. Oh, no. And uh, it took me two weekends. I remember going home and really being upset. And, and, uh, and my, uh, Dad, I, I said, that man has more money than he, he's going to make me pay for those groceries. And my father said, you know, he said, Johnny, let me ask you a question. He said, did you put the groceries in the wrong car? And I said, yes, sir, I did. He said, well, it's up to you to pay for it. And, you know, that was a good lesson and responsibility to learn. And uh, hard lesson, but... Uh, that's the realities that you face in life sometimes. Everything doesn't just go the way you want it to go. Yeah. And you said you always knew you wanted to get into coaching. I did. You know, even as a kid growing up, back then the proximity of the elementary school to the high school on the way home, I'd go over, I'd, I'd sit in the gym, and, you know, I, I appreciate those coaches. They probably could have run me out. But I used to uh, – they used to have an American Legion team, an older American Legion team, adults, where they bring guys in and they play all these uh, 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 Army-based teams, military teams. And, you know, there'd be some guys that were big playing the big leagues or in the military that would come through and play those Sunday games. And I'd, I'd always like going to those. And just something about being involved uh, with the game when I got through playing, you know, I wanted to stay involved with it. And coaching was the way, and uh, that's what I wanted to do. And I was – been fortunate to have the opportunity to have done it. So, is it easier to coach kids now than when you first started? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. I think there's always different challenges. I think now you mentioned the travel teams and all that, and uh, the uh, social media and all those things that go along with it. It, it. it makes it more interesting. You know, the kids are, uh, it used to be, you know, the high school team would have been the focal point and not, I'm not saying it's not the focal point uh, in, in a degree, but there's also a lot of other interests going on. And then you, you know, the kids sometimes get sidetracked with the idea of, uh, uh, you know, this college is interested in me, this college, and they, they, they get caught up in that and they forget what they got to do to keep that college interested in them, so to speak. And, you know, I, I wrote, I read a, a, a book recently by Augie Garrito, and it, the title of it is "Life Is Yours to Win." It's a great book. And in there, he has a, uh, yeah, that you know, prospect versus player. And you know, a lot of these guys look at themselves as being prospects, but you know, they got to learn to be players first, and the other take care of itself. And uh, I think that's some of the challenges that we face now. But 
you know, kids have always been kids. They're going to, they're going to test you. And I, I think that's one uh, advantage of having coached in the same school for as long as you have, uh, while you still, there are those who are going to, you know, as I mentioned, test you, but I think people know, uh, how you're going to be, you know, if you, if you, you, you've established that over the years, what your, what your philosophy is, what your standards are, what, uh, how things are going to be done. And that's, uh, not saying that you don't try to improve how things, how you go about doing things. But I think we have a level of, as you mentioned earlier about players being consistent, I think coaches have to be consistent too and how they handle situations and how they handle their players. Have your standards changed much over the years? Uh, I think probably I'm a little, I try to be a little more tolerant. I think at times, uh, you know, if I reflect back on my younger years, you know, I Volatile, maybe that might be a word. Uh, sometimes I'd get, uh, you know, temper might, you know, you know how you, the emotion of the game. I think I can control those things better than I used to. Uh, you know, they talk about old school, new school, that type of thing. You know, growing up, I played for coaches. They were kind of, you know, in your face type of guys. If you didn't get things done, you know, they were they challenged you. I mean, there wasn't any. I can remember running sprints one time in football and. The, they blow the whistle and you'd have to do a forward roll and get up and keep going. Well, I was a sophomore, you know, and I, I was still not real agile, coordinated or whatever you want to say. And it's, and, and coming out of that forward roll, I probably didn't, I wasn't coming out of it the way he wanted it, you know, and he'd help me up by, by giving me a boost with a foot in the, in the, in the fanny that, to get me up, you know, those kind of things wouldn't fly now, but those are the kind of things that, you know, you grew up just with trying to help. Yeah, sure. He was just trying to, trying to hey, Larry, you got to go a little faster here, you know. So, uh, but, you know, you, you, you learn to adjust and temper those things. I think today's society, you just, uh, some of the things that maybe happened earlier and you learn from, and I've been fortunate, you know, the people who are, well, you know, the administrators, the people that were in charge, you know, they, they helped me along. They helped me in my development, and I appreciate that. And, uh, but I do think I'm a little more patient and, and I realize, you know, you see things that have happened over and over again and you just realize that it's just, uh, those are the things you're going to have to handle and how you handle them. It's, uh, um, it will determine, I think the success you might be able to have. Well, keeping somebody accountable is a form of love, isn't it? I think so. And I think, you know, I tell them, you know, ultimately the world's going to discipline you. Yes. So if you don't discipline yourself, yes. so if, if the little lessons or things that they uh, they might, uh, you know, let's say you uh, come late to a practice, you maybe you don't start the next game. Those are easy. You know, they don't like it at the time. It's a very minuscule thing if it can help teach a lesson rather than them having to learn something like that later in life when the stakes are so much higher for them. And, uh, but those are concepts that I think that, you know, you're trying to get across to kids and, uh, maybe some understand it. Maybe some of the parents don't understand that. But uh, I think later on they they do have an appreciation for that because uh, uh, you know they they're going to see things crop up in their life. They're going to require them to have to make the right decision, and if not, they're going to be accountable for the decision they do make. So, do you do many parent meetings? We have uh, uh, we have a boosters club, which is open to our parents to come. Um, we have a parents meeting at the beginning of the year. We have what we call a uniform distribution day where all of our spirit items and all the stuff that the kids, uh, 
get, you know, uh, or have the opportunity to get uh, beyond their uniforms and so forth. Uh, we do that. And we we uh, have Team Snap and Game Changer and all that type of stuff that we keep information flowing back and forth. And again, as we've talked about my ability to technology, I have, you know, people that have um, they're in the pro that have been in the program for a number of years that, that helped me with that. Uh, boosters club officers. We'll have people to stay involved in our program even after the their uh, uh, youngsters have finished playing. Uh, you know, in, in support roles, and we certainly appreciate that. What type of fundraisers are you guys doing with your booster club? Well, we're allowed to have four a year, and uh, we sell signs for our outfield fence. We uh, we uh, have a hall gross. What do you what do you charge for your outfield fences, your signs? Uh, I think it's two hundred and fifty dollars for a sign. Uh, the first, first year they maybe because you got to have the sign made, and I think it's two hundred dollars a sign. Uh, you know, it makes over five thousand dollars for us when we do that. Uh, what do you make off the hog roast? Uh, hog great idea, by the way. That's a lot of meat. There's a lot of meat on hog uh, roast. I've been to some friends' hog roast. There's a ton of meat. Uh, we'll make thirty five hundred to four thousand uh, dollars. But our big one's the basket bingo. We have a basket bingo, and we'll make uh, more than $15,000 on that. Is that a one-day event? Right. And, uh, and we have people that sell to go out and get the, the, the prizes that the people can win and all the other. And then we, we also do the, the tip jar thing, you know, the basket bingo that goes on. And uh, so that, that's, a, that's a nice fundraiser. And, of course, we have our concession stand, which we uh, – uh, and then we sell uh, 50 50 tickets at the games and uh, you know th things like that and then we'll have people that uh, that will make donations to us my former coach a high school football coach uh, he, he's passed away now he follows us around and he, he like when we go to Myrtle Beach he'd walk down to the fence after the games and he'd shake my hand he'd say now John he said good luck down there at the beach and he'd have two $100 bills in his hand. He said, now, if any of those boys need anything while they're down there or somebody's having that pizza, you make sure that, you know. So, you know, we get people that support us like that. And uh, we've been fortunate over the years in that regard to have uh, to have people interested in, in good support. We have, a, we have an indoor hitting building called the Road Truck Building that was named after a player that uh, – Played for us in 2008, his freshman year in college. He had the misfortune of being killed in a car wreck in the community. Everything that was donated in his memory went to establish that building. And it's a, you know, it's it's not a, a huge building, but it's big enough to have lockers all the way down one side. We have a hitting cage on the other side. Uh, we got a big flat screen TV in the end of it. And, uh, you know, people donated. Uh, so that we were able to, to have that. It's heated, have air conditioning in it in the summer. And, uh, so, you know, it's uh, been very fortunate in a lot of regards, no question. How early can you have your hands on them in the spring? Before the Well, we season? have now what is called flex days in our state, which are 12 days out before you start season that you can practice with your guys. And it has to be open to anybody. You just can't say – this is a specifically anybody who wants to come can come, but we'll you know it's oriented toward baseball. And, uh, we'll start that mid-January, two days a week, and 
and two in a, uh, about a week and a half ago, we started our conditioning program, which goes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. You know, it has an agility uh, component plus a weight from where they when we have two guys from a uh, outside organization who job or you know uh, working with athletes they come in and they uh they do that our boosters club supports the cost of that plus the player play um, uh, part of the cost of that too and we do that at, in our high school weight room and uh, in open areas around our school uh, you know there's you got to share the gym with other teams at this time of the year so we might use the hallway or if it's nice we might go outside our football field is turfed uh, and to do that so you know, while we can't be baseball oriented with them, we do have contact with them uh, at, at that, during that time. Uh, we have a fall team, which a couple of our, uh, well, one of my former players ran this year. It's, it's not associated with the with the high school team at all. Uh, the high school, you know, the coaches can't have anything to do with it. Other we go watch the games, but you know, the young man that runs it for us, having been a former former player. Um, he, he knows pretty much how we go about doing things. So that's that, that helps too. It helps create the interest in, for those who are not involved in, in fall sports. And I and I make it I make it clear to you know, we have guys that play basketball, we have guys that play football, and I think that's great. And, you know, and you've heard coaches yourself talk. They like they like to recruit athletes to the playing three sports because of the discipline involved in all the three sports. Uh keeps you know, them the healthier too. Man, that's a, a big teammate. one. Keeps them healthier. Right. And uh, um, so, you know, if the kids do that, that's great. But the ones that don't do that, we have these other things available for them. Do you feel like the training piece is probably what's changed the most over the years is how kids are training in the offseason for baseball? Well, I think they, it's more of a specificity. Is that how you say the word? Yes. Uh, for the sport, they try to uh, do, do things. They, they see that maybe they're, they're better in that sport or their opportunity might become in that sport, you know, they have personal trainers or they'll take lessons, pitching lessons, hitting lessons. Uh, yeah, I, th I think that's become more uh, popular and more uh, kids get involved in that more now. How long did it take you to win your first state championship? Uh, we won it in 1979. I started coaching. Well, I coached two years at Harpers Ferry High School, which was a small class A school. And that was one of the three schools that consolidated to form Jefferson. Uh, we got to the tournament in uh, our first year, 73. Uh, Joey Patina. Patina, does that name ring a bell? I don't know if that rings a bell. Mm -hmm. I, I think I'm saying it right. He played shortstop for one of the teams that, that was in the tournament. Now, he went on to play in the big leagues, and he was a bench coach for Tony LaRusso for a while. Uh, so that's the name I, I remember from that. But uh, – we, we went there in 77, 78, and finally in 79. And I got a good, I got a story I think you might enjoy. In 78, it, it upset me at the time. It kind of made me mad at the time. But as I reflect on it, it was so true. And it kind of, it's at that accountability issue that you were talking about. The, the scout said, uh, Coach, how'd your team do last year? I said, Well, we did well. I said, We'd have played for the, uh, we'd have been in the state championship game, but. Uh, we let a guy go from first to third on us on a bunt, and we bobbled a ground ball and uh, tied the game up. We got beaten extra innings. He said, "We well, you know, coach, teams that play for the state championship don't let guys go first to third <laughs> on the bunt on. <laughs> and, you know, so, you know, 
back then, I think, well, you blew up this hat and hat, we'd have got, but when those things happen, you, you know, that's baseball. So, and, and, yeah, but it's easy to say that from the outside of the fence. I say, yeah. I love this quote every job's easy if you're not the one doing it. That's right. 20, uh, hindsight, hindsight is 2020, yes, right? Sure. Yeah, that's right. We weren't but trying, we weren't trying first, to let you? them go first to third. Like, I, I, I guarantee that we were not trying to let them go first to third. <laughs> but, I think I try to point it to the kids. Say, guys, if we want to play for the championship, now yeah. we can't. We got to be able to get that bunt down. We got to yeah. be able to do. You know. So uh, it was a good lesson. But we won it in '79, and then we didn't win it again till '88. And John was the pitcher, and my son Charlie was the catcher. And uh, that's the only time that's happened. And that was certainly a personal highlight. Uh, all the all the championships are highlights, but it, I'm, I'm human. I do have things that you look back on. And I was fortunate enough that my youngest son, we were in the early nineties, we won at 91, 92, 93. And he was on two of those three teams that were able, that were able to do that. So I'll tell um, you what, that's a common theme. I've done a lot of father and son episodes and it seems like that time when the son played for the dad, um, it was one of the best winning percentage and, and championships that that coach has had in their career. I had, you know, I had a snafu probably with each one of them at one time. We played, we were playing out in the Northern Panhandle when my youngest son, Rusty, was a, was a, a senior. And John was, they were playing, uh, Minnesota was playing Ohio State Columbus. So the deal was, you know, it was kind of playing that way. We played there. And then after the Saturday game, we were going to travel out to Columbus to watch John play on Sunday. So I don't know, something happened during the game. And I got upset with my son and what. And after the game, he wasn't going to go with us. He's going to go back. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 well, well, we there were a lot there. of times in college playing for my dad and brother where I wish I didn't have to ride with them. Yeah. So he, he ends up going, but when we get to Columbus, we have to get two motel rooms. We didn't tell <laughs> so those, you know, those are good memories and, and, and reflection. And, yep. uh, but, uh, is, is yeah, Nick he, Swisher the best baseball player to come out of West Virginia? Well, you know, John Crook came out of there. Yep. Uh, Lou Burdett, I don't know if that's a name that dates back to the late uh, – with the Braves. I forget John Crook was from West Virginia. Yeah. We played against him. In fact, he pitched against us, and his father was umpiring. You know, his name's Crook. <laughs> Crook. I said, what am I getting myself into here? I said, he, his father's umpiring, the son's pitching, their name's Crook. But, you know, his father was one of the best umpires we ever had. What, what a super guy. And uh, – uh, you know, John Crook in his younger days too was a good basketball player. Yeah, but he. Uh, yeah, you couldn't tell from that, but he he was a great athlete coming out of yeah, and Jerko, Jed Jerko. You know, he's another yeah. one from West Virginia. He's a good player. Been some. Uh, um, Jerko, man, I, good story here. Where uh, the year they changed the bats uh, the to BB Core, um, that year was a mess because they rolled out the stipulation so late that a lot of schools didn't get bats. So at Iowa, we didn't get our BB core bats until the season started. So the first time we were able to take BP with those BB core bats was our first game against West Virginia and our hitters didn't look good, but he looked fine. He looked like he was using the old bats. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, and you know, I don't know if you realize, you know, talking about player George Brett was born in West Virginia. Glendale, West Virginia, even though he didn't grow up in West Virginia. And Mazeroski, you know, he was born in Wheeling, West Virginia. So there's been uh, – we've been fortunate to have some guys yeah. through the years that have been uh, uh, 
the panhandle here. We had three guys from our rival school. Buddy Barker played in the 50s. Paul Creek, who was contemporary with John. He was a year younger. And a kid named Scotty Bullet, who uh, played. So, uh, you know, there's, you know, looking back and around, but, you know, to say who the best was, you know, Swisher was a good one, but um, I think Cruck had a lifetime batting average of 300. So he had a successful career too. He could hit. He could really hit. Yeah. Really good feel for hitting. Great hands. Great hands. He, uh, the story goes, I heard that when he was growing up, he played in the backyard and the family had a garden in left field. Or excuse me, the family had a garden in right field. I'm sorry, had a garden in right field. He being a left-handed hitter, you know, if he hit the ball in the garden, his father would give him a whack on the rear end, so he learned to hit it the other way, and it paid off for him because you know he could spray the ball around well. So. A little negative feedback. Yeah. I mean, what are some of the things that you've changed over the years with with your team, practice-wise or individual drills? Anything you've changed over the years? Well, you know, we. Um, We've, uh, we do our drill work early in practice. We know our breakdown stuff. We'll go out and stretch, run, throw. Uh, then we'll try to do, you know, uh, a lot of – I'll try to keep everybody involved. I think that's one thing. It used to be we do things where guys – you'd have some guys standing around. Well, now I try to design practice to where uh, we have everybody involved. Like when we hit to the outfield and we if we uh, throw the bases, I'll have three guys fun going. And, you know, want to be throwing to third, want to be throwing to second, want to be throwing to, to the plate. And we'll switch it around. Uh, and we do – we have multiple uh, hitters with our infield. You know, we might do a, you know, 5-3, 6-4, 4-6, you know, 6-3, uh, 5-4, uh, you know, to switch it up that way and so that everybody keeps involved. While we're doing that, then we'll uh, – uh, have somebody working to do in their outfield, working on the specific drop steps one way, drop steps the other way. Uh, we do when I do we do our fly ball priority drill. Uh, if we're doing it to the left side of the infield, we'll be doing ground balls to the right side instead of just standing there and watching. So I try to keep everybody involved. Another thing I try to do every game, every day, it, for about forty-five minutes to an hour, is to play a game, whether it's a, a coach pitch game or a, a, using the machine game. And I'll and I'll. Are you still throwing? You still throw? No, no. When's when's the last year for you that you threw? Oh, it's been a while back. I'd hurt my arm when I was younger, and I've yep. always been fortunate to have young guys that you know. Yep. And, and that's so that's important too. You don't realize how important that is to have somebody that can do that. Yes, but it's a skill. You know, the the ones that are good at it, it's a it's a great skill. I was just okay at throwing, uh, really good at fungo, but I that skill is tremendous for the guys that are. Good yeah, at I can I can hit fungos, and I I can still do that. But you know, I try to track the bats, how many bats they get, and I can tell them. You know, not only over the course of the season they've got maybe a hundred. 125 at bats, but in practice you've gotten 200 at bats. So now you've got 300 at bats. So you handwriting uh, with that when you're tracking ABs? I do. Yep. Yeah. Are you, are you, know, you the one? You're the practice, one tracking. In practice, that? in practice, I do. Yep. In games, we have the game changer thing. Yeah. Could, yep. Uh, hey, when you're doing fly ball communication, are you fungoing that or are you using machine for that? Use a machine. Yeah. Yep. I think it's so the, the most realistic. You can, you can, you can place balls a lot better. With yes. That. Yeah. So, what type of machine are you guys using? We have the the jugs. The uh, what's the small one called? The uh, uh, yeah, I know that them and Hack Attack. They have the the smaller yeah, ones. Hack Attack. That's what we got. Yeah, yeah. we got. We have actually we have uh, two machines. 
you know, the hack attack and the, and the bigger uh, one for wheels. I don't think it's a joke. Hell, I can't keep all that straight in my mind anymore either. So, uh, uh, but you know, you got they, any tips for catching? You got sport, any tips for for pop up, catching catching pop ups and fly balls? Well, I don't call them too early. Yeah, a lot of guys will on the way down. Them. Yeah, right. Make sure that the ball's at the peak of its uh, flight before you you would call it. Uh, and you, you know, you got to have confidence in the voice of the other guy. You know, once your priority set. I mean, if it, I, I tell the outfielders, I don't want you calling a ball that you got to make a great catch on. It's a routine catch for the shortstop, maybe stand on the beef of it. You got to run a long way to get to it. But I also want that when they hear an outfielder call it, that the infielder peels off so that they have confidence that they, you know, that the collision's not going to occur. Um, yeah, we always the outfielders. We wanted them to to look at the infielders' number. If they could see the infielders' numbers, he's probably camped. Um, you know, if if you were seeing his chest, it was probably made a tough play for the infielders. And then yeah. we always said the the outfielders were going to stay high and the infielders were going to go low, um, just so they didn't hit heads. And then same thing with the center fielder and the corners. If uh, the center fielder was going to stay high and the corners were going to go low, if if yeah. they were going to hit. And, and I think it's important that you do those drills too, you have to. to, uh, uh, because they're going to happen in the games. And not only do we do them between the infielders and the outfielders, but we do them down in front of the dugout. You know, third baseman, we work on the catcher getting over, seeing the angle of the ball coming down to let them know whether the ball is going to stay fair or going to be out of play. Uh, work on, uh, uh, you know, the first baseman, third baseman getting to a, a fence, getting their hand so they could feel the ball coming back one way instead of having to worry about where the fence is and where the ball is going to be. Uh, you know, all those Are you having your catcher go out with them to track, to, to let them know what the fence is? Yeah, the catcher goes – when the ball goes up, that catcher Unless goes there's a guy at third base. Yeah, first base is third base, and they'll say plenty of run, we're out of play. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of the responsibilities of our catcher, no question. You coach, from, you coach third still, or are you in the dugout? I'm, I still coach third. Love it, love I do. it. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I don't know if 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 we win or lose a game because the guy we send the guy and he gets thrown out, or we don't send the guy, but maybe we could. I want that to be on me. At least that's the way I feel about it at this point. So, uh, it's uh, I've always well, been and you've been doing it for so long. You got feel for when guys should steal and when to put things on, just with the amount of experience that you have. Um, I, I did both. I coached third. I really liked coaching third, but sometimes our team uh, needed me to be in the dugout from a decision-making standpoint and hopefully trying to get guys calmed down. I don't know if I always helped with that, but hopefully. Well, you know, we uh, I keep a lot of guys, you know, a lot of interest. I think, and that's good because it creates interest. But again, with that age group, you get guys that, that aren't playing. You know, they, you want to keep that focus and dugout. You want them to be good teammates and be willing to do the things that they need to do to. Uh, with the reentry rule in high school, I think that helps that a lot too. You know, you can yeah. use kids to play their strength, and you can tell them that so that they understand what their role is, and then. Uh, uh, What's your guys' pitch limit rules in West Virginia? Well, uh, it's 30. If you throw less than 30, you can throw it again the next day. If you throw uh, over 100, 110 is the most you can throw in the game. If you throw 110, then it's, um, you know, it's three days before you can come back. So, uh, Have you stayed with that? 
Yeah, yeah. And early in the year, we'll limit. Yeah. In fact, there's even been talk, and I thought it was a pretty good idea, although it's never been formalized, that early in the year, the pitch count might be less. I, I agree. I completely agree with that. I think, yeah. you know, just, some of it's an education piece. I just don't think coaches realize that, that maybe guys aren't acclimated to throw that many pitches, where I think you need to stair-step the pitch count early, especially because you can't have them, you know, everybody's crammed for time with when you can get your players before the season starts. And so the the on-ramp piece is, is not, you just can't do it with the amount of time that you guys have. You can't on-ramp guys enough. And, and yeah, hopefully your players are throwing on the side, but they're not always going to do that. I just think the stair step, you know, maybe you're going to start at 70 pitches and then you can add 10 as the season goes. Um, but, you know, I just think there's a lot of ways you can do it. But I think it's just a safeguard, a little bit more of a safeguard to stair-step it. The, the flex days have helped us with that yep. starting in January to get the guys going. You know, a lot of people say, well, I've heard people say, you know, how are you going to have enough pitching to play that many games? Well, if you play games, you got to have pitchers, right? So – you're going to develop pitchers. And then early in the year, you know, if you let a kid throw 30, 40 pitches and use somebody else, you're developing guys. You're bringing them along. And uh, uh, Preseason, my, my, head coach, my head coach at Memorial High School, Quentin Merkel, was was really advanced and won a lot of games, second all-time winning as coach in, in Indiana. But everybody pitched and, and caught in the preseason. So even though I never threw an inning – off the mound in high school, we still worked on pitching. Everybody pitched and everybody cool. caught in the beginning. Just to, I think it was more to get everybody's arms going, but just in just in case. I heard a coach at a clinic one time say, in the high school game, pitching is 90% of the game. He said, that's the reason I spend 100% of my time with pitchers, he said. Yeah. Indiana, have you ever heard of uh, – did you ever have the opportunity to meet uh, Ken Shrivener? No, nah, but I knew Ken, and I know Doug. You know, Ken is the all-time winningest coach, Laporte. Um, mm-hmm. You knew Laporte, even though, you know, Laporte is way far north. Uh, Evansville is as far south as you can get in, in Indiana. So we never – we would see them at the state tournament because, you know, two best teams from the north and two best teams from the south would play for the state championship. So I knew Laporte because you just knew his name because you saw it everywhere. But another phenomenal – coach phenomenal coach tell you a story about him and we were when we were driving john out to minnesota one time i saw the port on the sign i said i want to go in and see and so we went to the high school we saw his field and then somebody said well he lives right over there so we he lived close to the field so we went over and knocked on his door and i introduced myself and he took us back over to the field gave us a personal tour and he gave each of the boys a, a uh their game hats, which I they had wild crazy. uniforms. Yeah. That was the thing that I stuck out about Laporte is they had wild uniforms. They had, you know, it was an off red and then gold, and they had they wore the old school stirrups, and we did too at Memorial. We wore the old school stirrups, but they had wild unis at Laporte. Yeah, yeah, he was a great guy, and I remember seeing him too at some of those, um, you know, the clinics you'd go to. He'd always have guys gathered around him. He, uh, he was he was an institution. So. Yeah. You know, when you first got into it, what what kind of resources were you leaning into? Because you're a young head coach, what kind of resources were you leaning into when you first got into it? Well, you know, I mean, the field I played on the first year was down at the, the corner of the football field, and it was a scanned-in field. And, uh, you know, that's where we played. It was an open field. We did, we had a fence and right because the fence and right 
was a barrier between the sideline of the football field and the bleachers. But we didn't have anything left unless we'd want to put a snow fence up. You know, it was open. So you play ground rules out in the left field. And I can remember my wife and I going out and taking my vehicle, my car, and pulling it up to the edge of the uh, infield, shining the lights across. And we'd take Dixie cups out there and dip water off of it. So uh, then our first year out of Jefferson, you know, the, you know, the school opened, uh, football field was ready, those kind of thing, but the baseball field wasn't ready yet. So we played out away in a little community called Lee Town. We played it, they had a field. But the next year, uh, the first year at Jefferson, our first time year we got to play at Jefferson, it was a dirt infield. Uh, didn't have any fences. I just had, uh, you know, for dead ball territory, it was wide open in the outfield. I had one. What were your ground rules with no fence? Well, it, it was all you could get in the outfield. And it I was, was all you could get? Ready. Yeah, I was just getting ready to say, I've only had one player hit for the cycle for us in school's history. That was the first game we ever played there. Because, you know, won the gap, he got a triple. No, a little further, he got all the way around with it. We used to put uh, lines down the uh, chalk lines down the, you know, for the barriers down the right and left field line. We, we first got our fence for the perimeter of the field. When a friend of mine who was a landscaper said, John, I said, I just took down some chain link fence from this place. It's, you know, it's not the best to take, but if you want it, we can get it up. And so we put it up and we spray painted it, get the rust marks off of it. I had 10 people in town give us a hundred dollars each so we could put a backstop up, but we've advanced from that, uh, from now, from now we've, I mean, we've got a nice facility now, like I was telling you with the indoor facility and, but it's all been. You guys tur turf or natural? Natural. You're natural, natural. now. I think we, that's we, another thing that's changed a lot, too, is the material I feel like is much better now. Well, we, we have all the turfers and all that kind of stuff. I just think that material has gotten so much better. The The field maintenance material has gotten way better over the years. We, there's a racetrack close by where we are. We used to get all the, the excess stuff they take off the racetrack, yep. which was pretty good because it was sandy and it would drain good. Yep. And, uh, but, our, our, you know, we won the uh, – the National High School Baseball Coaches Association Region 2 Field of the Year about a couple of years back. So our facilities, you know, it's come a long way. And uh, we got lights in, in the mid-90s, and our Boosters Club members had to sign a note at the bank to get get the, uh, the lights. And the bank would give us the interest payment back at their donation. But we got that paid off. We had a matching grant. We got to have other paid for it, and we had to sign it. But, um, hey, how far, how know, far with no fence, how far were you going down with the foul lines? Well, we go all the way out to build. The school was about, I'd say, 450 feet out. Okay. So yeah. we, we played on a field or Mercersburg. This is way back before John ever got there. And I had a kid hit on, they had a road out behind the left fielder. And they, it was wide open for them too. And I had a kid hit a ball and it uh, went out and, it looked to me like a foul ball for the other team. And I went out and argued. I said, that ball, I said, that ball, you know, it, it, it curved. It, it looked to me like it went foul. He says, coach, that field goes on for infinity. <laughs> that's, <laughs> a great, that's a great response. <laughs> oh, goodness. Do you have a fail forward moment? Do you have something you thought was going to set you back, but looking back now was one of the best things that happened to you? Well, yeah. I don't know. I mean, that'd be a 
one of the best things that's ever happened to me as far as being a baseball coach. Is that what you're or, or personal journey. I always like asking successful people that if there's there's something along the journey that maybe you thought was going to sidetrack you. But looking back now, it, it actually happened probably the way it was supposed to or, or even better. Uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Everybody's got to answer that one. That's the one question that everybody has to answer on this because I love I love the responses that we get. Well, I, I don't know. I've, uh, my wife's standing close by. Vicky, can you think of anything? <laughs> well, yeah. Life, life, cha- life changing. But, uh, you know. Hey, Vicky, jump on here. I got. I need to ask you some questions. As you said, her. She, she was the life changing experience. I, yeah, exactly. I think all of well, our you know what? Okay. all of our significant others would say that. So let, let me let me let me let me let me expand on that a little bit. Yep. You know, I went to the Naval Academy for a year. I went to Potomac State and I went to the Naval Academy, and then then I had chemistry, calculus, and physics all in the same semester. So that was the end of me at the Naval Academy. But I came back and I was in a physical science class. And Vicky, my wife, she and I went to high school together, but she's a year behind me. And, and I really, and I knew. Did you guys date in high school? Knew. No, we didn't. That's what. That's my point. That's probably so why I'm you guys are still together. Well, that's, that, I was in a physical science class up there at Potomac State after I left the Naval Academy. And, and she walks in. She sits down in the row in front of me. So from that point on, you know, we, we started dating and so forth. So I guess you could say that if I hadn't left the Naval Academy, I'd have never met her. We'd have never gotten married. And, uh, you know, things would have never evolved uh, the way the way they uh, the way they have. I mean, Vic, hey, Vic, I need to ask you because I, I lived this. How, was it easy when the boys would come home, uh, have a bad game? How was the dinner table when they would have a tough game? You heard a question? Go ahead, she's walking. She's hey, here now. When they would have a tough game in high school, how was the dinner table after those games? Uh, we replayed the game at least a dozen times and uh, figured out what we could have done different. And uh, he didn't—he wasn't too bad in the later years. In the early years, it was a little difficult, but in the later years, since he's mellowed out, he. Uh, he, um, it's not bad at all. Yep. But, uh, did you throw BP? Did you throw to your boys much? I know John Senior is gone a little bit here and there. Did you? Did you do much with the boys? With she went out. She she went out. She in, in the cage. He oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, we had a batting cage in the backyard and a uh, pitching machine, and I used to feed the balls, especially to Rusty, the youngest one. And then one time I Charlie wouldn't catch with John. So I decided I'd go catch for him. And um, he hit me in the knee with the baseball. Yep. <laughs> and that was the end of that. Love it. But Love when they it. were little, we used to uh, have those big Albert bats and, yep. and uh, <clears throat> we'd throw those and they would, you know, wail away. So. How were you able to keep it straight just with, you got three boys. How were you able to keep everything straight with getting them to where they needed to get to? Well, at times it was difficult. And I had one year he decided to go to uh, what North Carolina. Yeah. And so I was left with the three boys and um, we recruited friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It takes a village. Yes. Takes a village. Cool. 
All right. Well, Vicky, thanks for jumping on with me. You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, you know, talking about playing in the backyard. The first one of the first camps I ever worked at was the Nellie Fox camp. It was up in yep. Shippensburg, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And uh, uh, of course, Nellie was alive at the time, and he was at the camp. But anyway, when they were playing the games, uh, I took John and Charlie up. They were a little young, but they let them come up for the last day of the camp. And John is playing first base and a kid hits a ball in the gap and he rounds first and John trails him down like you would, you know, and the guy, I forget the guy's coach's name. I, he, he coached at Northern Iowa. Say that, that his name will come to me, but I can't Dave remember. Dave Schrag. Say it again. Was it Dave Schrag? No, it wasn't him. It was a guy who had married a girl from Chambersburg, which was close to where the camp was being held. And, uh, but anyway, the, the gist of the story is he stops the camp. He says, I've never seen that. He said, how old's that boy? I said, he's six years old. He says, six years old, the ball's hitting the gap, and he's trailing him down like that? He said, that's amazing. I says, well, I says, don't make it more than it is. I said, when we play in the backyard, when the ball's hit out, we only got two fielders. One of them plays first, one of them plays the field. If the ball gets past the fielder, now he's got to become the second baseman. So he yep. runs down. The so that's what he was doing, you know. But it did. It looked like he was trailing the guy perfectly. <laughs> we we talk about that a lot too. Just on the youth side, is you know, I think you know, soccer modifies their play. I think modifying that type of play will help younger kids yeah. learn the game because of things like that. Where the byproduct of that is actually they're going to put themselves in positions if you modify it a little bit more for them with not as many kids out there, smaller field, smaller ball. There's a lot of things that I think we can continue to help the game going forward. Um, that just for that byproduct is they're going to actually learn how to play in space a little bit better. I think that's one of the things that we are missing with, with today's youth is the, is the pickup games. Yes. You know, I mean, it, it, it might be, you'd have uh, uh it's four guys, two on a side. Or, or two. I mean, yeah. two, you're playing pitcher's hand, wiffle ball, playing pitcher's hand. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do with just two. Then you then you learn to, to solve your disputes. <laughs> yes. And you, you learn to, like, stab, you know, just make decisions and do things. I heard a guy, I've always liked this story. They were in, I forget what the guy's name. They were doing a, a pro guy on TV one time, and they said, what's the best day you've ever had? He said, well, he said, I went 68 for 72 one day. The guy said, 68 for 72? What do you mean? He says, well, when we were kids, we'd start at 8 in the morning. We'd play the dart. One time I got up 72 times and got 68 hits. Yep. So that doesn't happen anymore. No, so. it does not. <laughs> you got any evening or morning routines that you like? You know, you're you're still doing it and, and doing it at a high level. Do you have anything that you, you do in the mornings or in the evenings that are pretty set for you each day? Well, I mean, I, I like to – Keep myself in a, a semblance of physical condition. I had some barbells, not barbells. So you're still doing strength training. Kettlebell, you know, you know, and I, I like to walk. And the one main thing, and while we were talking here, he had his head up in my lap. And I, uh, if he'd had the computer on, if I had a uh, camera, you could have seen him. My dog and I like to go out all the time. He loves to ride. And, get a uh, dog. I, that's like, if you want to stay active, get a dog. They'll keep yeah. you. They, you can't. He's a golden retriever, and we got him when he was two months. He's he's twenty pounds now. He's a hundred pounds, and he's just uh, he does. He keeps his. Um, we got to be energetic to keep up with him. But that's what. That's the best dog we ever had. She was a golden. Her name was Kerouac, but she was a golden uh, Brittany Spaniel mix. Uh, she's an unbelievable dog. Great yeah. with our kids. Yeah. 
Yeah, we uh, he he adds a lot to our. We even had to get one of those doors, you know, that he can go in and out because we would have to get up all the time, let him out. He's in and out that door constantly. So, <laughs> what does this mean going into the ABCA Hall of Fame? Well, I tell you, it's just uh, truly humbled by it, and so appreciative of all the people that have been a part of it to help me to get to a point or to help us get to a point that something like that, you know, would happen. You know, a lot of people over the years have contributed to our program. You know, I don't look at it so much as an individual award as a group award. You know, it's a, it, it reflects the program. It reflects our community. It reflects my, uh, my, my wife, Vicki, uh, all the people that have supported us. And I, I'm just so, uh, humbled and appreciative that, uh, you know, to, to be considered for one thing, that, but to be elected, it's just, uh, uh, I'm really appreciative of that. And I, you know, and, and from just from the baseball perspective side of it, you know, I, I do think that um, my experience in the Valley League, especially early on, and I'm going to throw a couple names out of guys you might have heard of or mentioned, Joe Carbone, who's in the Hall of Fame. He Great was a human Joe. being. Yeah. And uh, the pitching coach at the time with Jack Stallings at uh, Georgia Southern was Larry Bryant. And those two guys, you know, they had patience with a young high school coach when, uh, you know, they probably could have gotten an assistant or something from someplace else. But they let a local high school guy come in and be part of what they were doing in Winchester. And it really, you know, it really helped me as far as coaching baseball is concerned. But, um, Hey, John Jr. was in Omaha with us, and, and that's where they do a lot of the, the legwork for that. But um, he was ecstatic uh, when he found out that you were going in. Yeah, it, uh, it, it's a culmination. I mean, I guess you could say it, but it, it's just uh, uh, you, you're so excited. But, you know, the humility you feel and, and the appreciation, those are the, the, of all that have contributed to it. I mean, if one person doesn't. Just do. I mean, and I think you could probably look at all the other guys that uh, throughout time that would. Uh, it, it's the same. It's the same thing. Like you were saying, there it takes the village to raise a kid. Which is that to do something like this, it just takes everybody. To do. Can you get to sixty? Can you get to sixty years? Sixty years. Coach, you know, I've thought about that. Let's see. This is fifty-three. That'd be seven more. Seven on eighty-four. I don't know. Woody Hunt made it. Man, Woody Hunt got there. Oh, is that right? Well, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I, I I started coaching in the '60s, although I didn't start coaching baseball in the '60s. So I, I was hearing up the other day. I think that's what that seven still counts. Sixty, seventy, eighty, ninety, the zeros. So that's decades. Decades. So. That's wild. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Well, I've always wanted to do it, and the good, the good Lord's blessed me with the opportunity to yeah. do it, and uh, and I'm, I'm appreciative on that, uh, and that help too and and that you know we you referred to it early having a family that bought into it and enjoyed it and had the same interest it just made it a uh, it's been a great life no question well john thanks for jumping on with me vicky i appreciate you jumping on with me i've been wanting to do some um some baseball wives and moms episodes so maybe this one will maybe that'll get me motivated to start lining up some baseball wives and moms episodes so appreciate yeah, you guys appreciate jumping it. on with me Okay, she's over there doing getting some of the Christmas goodies together and kind of listening to me gab here, but uh, she certainly appreciate that opportunity. Yeah, I appreciate your time, John. Thank you very much, and I'll see you in Nashville. Okay, thank you. 
I get great reminders every week of what I want to be when I grow up. I hope that I can look up 26 years from now and I'm still getting an opportunity to do what I love every day. Congrats again to Coach Lowry on his ABC Hall of Fame induction. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Jim Richardson, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABC office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at coachb underscore abca, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.